So I want to introduce our uh, speaker today, and then we're going to do a switcheroo. And uh, you folks online probably won't notice the switcheroo at all, but the folks who are in the theater are going to notice all kinds of funny things on the screen, and then you're going to see our speaker. He is uh, in his home in Toronto. He lives in downtown Toronto, and you are going to see him uh, just momentarily as we do this switch. And if you guys want to, you can probably do the switch now on the screen. Uh, EJ, do not start talking yet, even though there's a 20-second delay. He can hear everything I'm saying, okay? Super technology. All right, so EJ Toupe is our newest missionary, or in fancy terms, global worker. And he lives in the city of uh, Toronto, in the urban section of Toronto. He lives where he ministers, married, got a little girl. And uh, he's been there for many, many years. He will describe some of that to you. Uh, in his message today, but I met this man uh, actually through a Facebook um, uh, uh, group of a whole bunch of pastors across our nation, about 800 pastors, and I was really struck by his passion uh, uh, to reach the one who is far from God, which is the same purpose statement as we have, and in particular, his uh, working with people in the in the urban uh, sort of jungle of Toronto, and uh, he's very very active there, uh, advocates for justice uh, for those who are marginalized and kind of put out of society. Uh, does everything from prison ministry to even a, almost like an online uh, church for very, very unchurched people that just sort of came to be. Uh, he sits on several different boards and committees in the city of Toronto. He's in the courtroom a lot advocating uh, for people and to, to show mercy. Uh, and kindness and compassion to people who may be, uh, for example, getting out of prison and trying to start their lives over again. So really deep in the in the urban setting and uh, uh, very uh, passionate. I had a great discussion with him uh, this week, actually talking about social social justice and critical race theory and was fascinated to see his perspective on this as he serves right in the area, all right? So uh, I will sort of turn it over to him now, and we should see him on the screen behind me, yes? He's not there? I am? Okay, we want to do this switch now uh, to my tech and share his... Um, he shared? Okay, good. So he should be coming in pretty soon. There's 20-second delay here, so let's see. Oh, okay, that's the wrong one. No, that's me. <laughs> no, you want you want the other okay, I'll I'll go and help. You want the other video. That's a video from me from this week, and people are tired of seeing me. <laughs> okay, here. This is what we'll do. Put something on the screen for the people at home and I'll go and find it, okay? Talk to your neighbor, everyone. Okay. Okay. Good morning, everybody. This is uh first time for me. Speaking online live, and uh, you'll have to pardon me uh, if you hear motorcycles outside or or uh, sirens. We live right on Queen Street. Uh, I don't know how many of you know downtown Toronto, but Queen Street is a pretty major street in the city. So, and actually, for those of you who are historical buffs, uh, we live down the street from Hebden Mission, which is where. Uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies, uh, our denomination, that's where it started. 
we literally live just a few blocks east, so we are right on the heart of things. So uh, before we begin, why don't we open in prayer, and uh, we'll get to getting to know me and getting to know Jethro. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we are able to worship together again. And I know, Lord, that many of us have have uh, a lot of things to complain about, about things we lost. But right now, pray, Lord, that we can shift our minds and our hearts to receive that there is something we can gain in the midst of hardship. And, Lord, we are grateful for uh, your word that we can learn from it. And so I ask God that our hearts and our minds and our spirit is open to receive. And I pray that every single one of us receive exactly what we need. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, before we begin, I want to introduce myself a little bit more. Thank you, Pastor Joe, for um, that introduction. It is it's fascinating how you know you build relationships online, and and I consider Pastor Joe a, a new good friend, and um, I believe my sister is somewhere there seeing her brother <laughs> in a big screen. Uh, so I know a little bit of the plight uh, you Montrealers have had, although your hockey team is doing much better than mine. So. Uh, if we can just switch to the photo with my family, just wanted to introduce my, my family to you. So this is us, uh, that, that cute little girl there. Her name is Gemma. I'm her dad. And, uh, that's my wife, Cheryl. She is also in the ministry. She's the executive director of Converge Canada. So she oversees ministry all over Canada. And, and I, myself, I'm the urban missionary here in downtown Toronto. Now, as I say that, I'm pretty sure uh, when people ask me, what what do you do for a living? And they say, well, I'm an urban missionary to downtown Toronto. And usually that's that's met with a nod and, and thinking, people are probably thinking, what, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> uh, well, part of that is uh, when we envision missionary, we think, uh, we automatically think international for some reason. Uh, but in our context, both our urban contexts, a lot of people uh, don't know the Lord. And so there is a mission field in front of us. And definitely in our community, uh, we see it face to face. Um, there is a lot of needs here, not just physical, uh, but spiritual needs. And so uh, we believe that uh, just like any international missionary, you can't be serving the community without actually living in it. So we live right in the heart of uh, Leslieville. And I've been uh, a resident downtowner and minister in the downtown core since 2007. So it's very strange to all of a sudden realize, and I've been here a while. And so I, I sometimes sound like a historian when I, I talk about what's happened in the city. And, and I'm going to dig in a little bit more about uh, what I do. But historically, when I first uh, got here, I... Um, there were two things that the Lord revealed to me. Uh, one, that uh, people on the margins are deeply, deeply important to God's heart. And I, 
I know there's this passage in Matthew 25 uh, where Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. And, you know, Jesus talks about when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And, and then Jesus ends with his admonition to the sheep and says to them, whatever you did to the least of them, you done for me. And, and in light of that passage, when I ended up working in a shelter, the Lord spoke to me and, and said, you know, EJ, this is, this is the smell of people I love and I'll go love them. And that's what started me with, with loving with people on the margins. And uh, my love for my city has been a longstanding thing. Uh, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines, which some Filipinos think it's funny because lots of missionaries have come to my country. And here I am, a native-born Filipino guy, and I am missionary, first urban missionary to downtown Toronto for the Pentecostal Assembly. So funny, funny stuff. So that's a little bit about us. Uh, our little girl, Gemma, she's, she is a lot of fun. And I'll be talking about her a little bit more again. Uh, I want to give you all early warning. This is my first Father's Day message ever in life. <laughs> so this could be either awesome or really bad. So let's get to the passage. Let's talk about Jethro. Let's talk about Jethro. So Jethro is kind of one of these guys that uh, not a lot of people talk about. Um, I can't recall too many messages that talk about Jethro, and not because he's not important, uh, but because uh, people kind of read their Bible a certain kind of way. So before we dig in with Jethro, I want to give people a bit of a primer on reading the Bible. What I mean by that is what we're doing here is... Um, really digging, sifting through the scriptures. Sometimes there are scriptures that are explicit. What I mean by that is it just, it says something and then directly you, you must respond yes or no or ingest it. So those are called didactic passages of the scripture. So they're teaching. So some portions of scripture are prescriptive. So how many of you gone to the doctor lately or digitally online? And when you are sick, a doctor will tell you this is what you need to do to fix it. So a lot of the scriptures that tend to be preached and taught in church are prescriptive because they're easier to understand because it's just basically saying, here's a problem, this is how you deal with it. Now, sometimes a good chunk of the scriptures, most of it actually is descriptive. So in case you're writing notes, you can write prescriptive and then now you can write descriptive. Descriptive means that it's describing something. It's not saying this is good or bad. It's basically telling a story. It's telling a story about someone's life or how somebody interacted with God or uh, how someone is, is interacting with somebody else and God is somehow interwoven in that story. Now, I personally love descriptive passages because... One, they're very, very human. But in terms of teaching and preaching from it, it takes a bit of um, thinking and skill because it's not like a prescriptive passage where it just says, well, this is this is the truth. Now go take it. On a descriptive passage, you kind of really need to dig through like, well, what's going on here? What's the context? What's why? Why is this happening? Who is this person? You know, it's kind of like reading a novel and 
trying to glean a, a, a lesson from it. And so the passage today, uh, the person that we're going to uh, dig through today, Jethro, is more a descriptive portion of Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture that actually says Jethro is an example of great fatherhood. There's literally nothing in the Bible that will say that. However, uh, when we dig through, we're going to find out that uh, there is a lot of things about Jethro's life that are worth thinking about for us and also worth reflecting about in our own lives. So, a little bit about Jethro. Jethro, uh, just a precursor, shows up on three major portions of Scripture. Uh, first one is Exodus 2, 16 to 18. The second one is Exodus 18, uh, verses 9 to 12. Uh, and then I'll be reading another uh, portion of, uh, uh, a larger portion of Jethro's contribution with Moses. Uh, but basically, Jethro was a priest. He was not necessarily a follower of Yahweh. At this time, there was no such thing as Christianity. There was no such thing as uh, the Jewish faith even. There was just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at this moment when uh, Jethro was serving as a priest, the nation of Israel, they were slaves to Egypt. And um, we'll dig into Moses a little bit more, but Jethro was a priest in Midian. He had many daughters. And his main contribution in the narrative of Scripture is what he did with Moses. So in Exodus 2, um, it talks about how Moses met Jethro the first time. And then in Exodus 18, it talks about Jethro visiting uh, Moses when they were traveling towards the promised land. So um, I'm not going to read the previous ones, but I'm going to read a chunk of scripture if that's okay. I heard reading a Bible in church is a good thing. So I'm reading, <laughs> reading from Exodus 18. I'm going to be reading from verses 13 to 26. Okay, reading from the New Living Translation. And it goes, the next day, Moses sat as usual to hear the people's complaints against each other. They were lined up in front of him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for people, he said, Why are you trying to do all of this alone? The people have been standing here all day to get your help. Moses replied, Well, the people come to me to seek God's guidance. When an argument rises, arises, I'm the one who settles the case. I inform the people of God's decisions and teach them his laws and instructions. This is not good, his father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God bringing him their questions to be decided. You should tell them God's decisions, teach them God's laws and instructions, and show them how to conduct their lives. But find some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as judges over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men can serve uh, the people resolving all ordinary cases 
Anything that is too important or too complicated can be brought to you, but they can take care of smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God directs you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father's law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and made them judges over the people. They were put in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were constantly available to administer justice. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but they judged the smaller ones themselves. And then verse 27 ends. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, father who returned to his own land. The word of the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, heard or listened to that and felt warm fuzzies inside, <laughs> uh, but we we need to do some digging about what's happening there. So the passage that we just read um, talks about uh, two significant things. Number one, what we just read is actually the basis of our current legal system of how we have a Supreme Court, lower courts, and, and civil court, and different disciplines of law. So right then and then, that small suggestion that Jethro made has had implications for, for human history. That to this day, Jethro's suggestion to Moses has impacted all of us. Uh, it's impacted our current system of law. That what he said to Moses was not just for the sake of his son-in-law at the time, but it actually reverberated through the generations. But then what's happening here is we're also seeing what kind of person Jethro is. You see, um, the major person in the first five books of the Bible is Moses. Moses, uh, in the Jewish faith, is the most important voice that, that is leading God's people, that led um that led the nation of Israel out of captivity, and he was the one who led them in the desert. But before Moses became this great man, he was a broken, broken man. A lot of people don't realize this, and this is what I mean when, when you got to think about what the scriptures are also not saying about somebody, says something. Before Jethro, Moses had no father figure in his life. When Joseph, when Moses was born and, and his mother was trying to save him from being killed, there was no mention of his father being part of that process. And then later on, when he was growing up in, in Pharaoh's, um, in Pharaoh's uh, castle, again, not much mention of a, of a relationship between the Pharaoh and himself, except for when he was getting banished because he murdered somebody. And so before Jethro, the only kind of father figures Moses ever had were broken relationships. And so before he even landed in Jethro's family, his land, Moses was a broken man. He was a murderer. He was exiled. He was a nobody. And I'm pretty sure he's that kind of guy. You know, you ever meet those people, super talented, 
they had lots of promise in their future and then they made a big, big mistake. And then everyone just proceeds to write them off. This is who Moses is. And before Moses became this great man, before Moses was was able to, to meet God through the burning bush and all the other accolades that he did later on, Moses lived with Jethro. Now, Scripture is quite silent on Moses' time with Jethro. But I'm pretty sure we can speculate what happened to him because we see the end result. We see that Moses came from being a broken man to all of a sudden being so humble that even when he met God face to face, he no longer had the arrogance to think that he was that important. And I wonder if Moses had never met Jethro and healed the way that he did, would Moses have been chosen by God? Would Moses have had his experience with God? And even then, and here's another funny point, Moses, we can tell from the passage we just read, seems to have heard Jethro's advice before. Now think about this. Think about this. I'm pretty sure that when Moses met God in the in Mount Sinai and was spoken to by God to be the deliverer of Israel, I'm pretty sure he went back home and had a chat with his surrogate father about what just happened. Because for him to leave his family had implications. He had to leave his wife behind. He had to leave his his children behind. And so his father-in-law would have had to absorb some of that. So Moses going back to Egypt was not just a Moses decision. It seems like that he came to his father-in-law for advice and wisdom. So there's two main things that we see about Jethro here. Not only is he a nurturer where he helps broken people heal, but he's also a cheerleader where he celebrates people when they're about to, to I don't know, move up in life and get big and, and have, have uh, big achievements in life. These days when a lot of people are, are hungry for fame, a lot of people are hungry for uh, recognition. It's not even a, this is not even a contemporary concept. I mean, even back in the day, a lot of people want the glory. And yet Jethro was not that kind of person. All he wanted to do was be for Moses. And so oddly enough, Though a lot of us would focus on Moses and his contributions to the nation of Israel, his contributions in the scriptures, none of that would have been possible if Jethro didn't do what he did. So there's something to be said about surrogate fatherhood here. You know, and I say that because Father's Day is a complicated, it's a complicated uh 
holiday. I don't even know if it's holiday. I didn't grow up with it. <laughs> I know here in North America, we come up with all sorts of made-up holidays. But in contrast to Mother's Day, more people have healthier relationships with their mother than they do with their father. And because of that, this holiday is very complicated for a lot of people. For a lot of people. Also complicated because we live in a world where the idea of of fatherhood is is um, or being being a male or in some uh, racial conversations being a white male <laughs> it's all of a sudden being uh, reconsidered and people are thinking about it in all sorts of terms and I'm not here to dive myself into that conversation I'm here to simply talk about what the scriptures say. I'm here to talk about a surrogate father and how he saw this whole thing. And I've seen this play out in my own life. You see, when I, I even though I started in a men's shelter, I was only there for three months. And eventually I asked to be transferred to a youth shelter when I was in Edmonton at Hope Mission. And so I go from all these adult men and all of a sudden young people who had severe addictions. And when I moved back to Toronto, I, I ended up still serving a lot of uh, street-involved youth. So I was doing youth ministry at the church with all these nice church kids who live in St. Lawrence area of downtown Toronto. And then the rest of the week, I spent with a lot of street-involved youth. Um, some of them are into drug dealing. Some of them are into drug using. Some, in, some of them are very violent. But the one thing that many of them had in common was they were like Moses, the early Moses. They were ashamed. They didn't have good father figures in their life. In fact, they didn't have good parents, period. <laughs> and not that I'm saying that they're not to blame for some of their uh, poor decisions, but definitely not having a caring environment around them played a part. So a lot of what I did in those early days in that mode of ministry was to just literally be a surrogate father. I can remember many times where, you know, I remember even one young lady, she tried to kill herself. And magically, the Lord allowed me to find her so that uh, she didn't overdose. And we were able to take her to the hospital. And when I was there, uh, I remember her crying out because she didn't know her real dad. And the adopted dad that she had, she didn't quite like him. And so she felt like an orphan. And I remember saying to her that, you know, even though she doesn't know her dad, I'll, I said to her, I, I'll try to fill the gap as best as I can. I can think of many, many young people where, for some reason, God allowed me to be a Jethro. It's a lot of young people to just love them and nurture them in their broken state. And then now, because I've known some of them for so long, I get to celebrate with some of their successes in life. Or, uh, or for some, 
that same young lady that I just said the story to, uh, I'm officiating her wedding <laughs> in October. And what a joyous occasion that'll be. And I never quite understood that because um, I wasn't a father myself when I was serving these young people. And I can remember many times I would go home, even though I'd, I'd been filled with, with love and care that I was dispensing to all sorts of other fatherless young people. I would go home and recognize that I wasn't a father myself. I didn't quite understand. And I remember I would talk to God and say, why, why, was, why was this my call? <laughs> why is this um, what God's asked me to do to, to care for the fatherless? And yet I'm not a father myself. What I didn't understand was being a surrogate father was all practice. For that little lady over there, Gemma, and now uh, as a dad, there's like all these new, newfound feelings that I'm I'm finding. That's that's just an addition to being a surrogate father. And now that mentality that I had before of wanting to nurture when people are broken, and wanting to celebrate people when. Um, they are succeeding. Those same themes have still returned and, in fact, intensified. So I say this as a message to a bunch of people. Um, if you, if you wonder, you know, if you have this deep feeling in your life that, hey, I want to be, uh, I want to be a parent and I can't, I want you to know you don't have to wait until you become a physical parent to be one. We live in a very orphan generation where a lot of people are craving mentorship in any way, shape, or form. And if you're wondering, well, I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. Well, if you're a person of faith, you have your heavenly father to rely on. Because Lord knows I didn't fully know what I was doing half the time. <laughs> Being a surrogate father to all those broken kids definitely enriched my prayer life. Made me pray a lot and ask God for wisdom. And from time to time, I get to be like Jethro, like what he just said to Moses, where I get to say something really smart. And then at the end, at, at the end of what I just said, I realized, whoa, I don't know where that came from. That sure wasn't for me. And then now that I'm an act actual dad, I'm grateful that I got to love all these other young people be their surrogate father, prepared me to be the dad that I am now. And now I can say this, some of my greatest joys isn't so much uh, during the daytime when I get to play with my daughter. It's at night when I get to pray and dream about what kind of future she would have. Because I don't know about you folks, if there's one thing this pandemic has showed us, we live in a very, very broken world. Very, very broken world. And a lot of us got broken by this pandemic. When the dust settles, there's going to be some families that are going to finally be able to grieve their loved ones that were lost. And some of us have to grieve the things that we did lose, the things that we love from the life before. And when you are in pain, 
and there's no surrogate father around, well, that means we just turn to our Heavenly Father for healing. But the reality is, this feeling of being an orphan is not just unique to actual orphans. This disconnect is just part of human reality. And so, with Jethro, we, we see a physical manifestation of what God is wanting to do in our lives. That for those of you who feel orphaned, I want you to know that there is a Jethro out there for you. And for those of you who uh, are wanting to be a parent figure to, to others, well, maybe perhaps this is your jolt. You're called to be a Jethro to somebody. The reality is, in God's family, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, we all need each other. And collectively, we all need the Lord. So before I close, I want us to spend a minute in silence. I know that's going to be hard. We're going to go turn to this last slide. And I want you to look at this passage. I want you to dwell on it for one minute. And then we'll close in prayer. And then that's it for me. Let's sit in silence. So, Lord, we thank you for the example of Jethro in here and that we see that someone like Moses greatly benefited from him. And, Lord, in this story, some of us need to be Jethro and some of us need to be Moses. And, Lord, I know, God, that uh, there are many, many things that we have to now wrestle with after this uh, pandemic time, and even though we're wrestling with opening, you know, Lord, we're trying to figure out how to move forward with our lives. And I pray, God, that in those moments where we somehow feel lost and and feel exactly like an orphan and don't really know where to turn, Lord, I pray. I pray that we are reminded that you are the father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that through this message, we all received exactly what we needed. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. <laughs>
And uh, I hope that verse of scripture stays with you. You can come up to the stage, guys. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just mute it. There we go. Good technology. Yeah. Uh, It's a very unique message. Uh, Father, thank you for putting it on the screen. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widow. This is God whose name is holy, who is holy, and that is his, his character, that is his, uh, his nature. And uh, it, it's an amazing little uh, series of passages that just kind of comes and goes in the book of Exodus. And you see the, this Jethro, and you don't see him anymore. But when you start putting the pieces together, you realize, wow, what a profound impact Uh, he must have had in Moses' life. And to think that Moses, I mean, this incredible example, never knew his biological father. There's no, absolutely no evidence in the scripture that he ever knew him. And yet he did such incredible things. And part of that is because of the influence of this godly father-in-law, Jethro. So I know we've already prayed. I know you've already looked at that passage of Scripture, but that's one for you to memorize for sure. I think it's from the Psalms there. You can see the reference on the screen, uh, 68 and 5, Psalm 68 and 5. Uh, But I just want to pray for you before we we go today, and I'll just let the guys continue to play, and uh, we can stop the stream whenever. Thank you, Sarah, my technician, for all your help today. The camera died and uh, we'll come up with a solution for that problem. But uh, wow, it's been a it's been a very unique um, message today. So God, I thank you. You are able to speak to us through these little narratives and these little these little moments that come and go in the Scripture. And I pray that uh, people today would be impacted to be that influence to be that father figure. There are men in this room who've got, the, got the, the time or can carve it out of their lives to be a positive impact in, a, in perhaps a young person's life, uh, a young woman's life, a young man's life, to be that, that surrogate father. And uh, there are people, God, who need that so badly, who may be even in this room today or watching online or who will watch or who will listen. They need it so badly. Uh, But ultimately, Lord, we need you. And we need you to flow through us and speak through us. And uh, we need to live in you. So help us, we pray, this Father's Day in the year 2021. We pray to that end. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, everyone. And uh, you don't have to run out too quickly. Uh, when When you walk around, you do have to wear your mask. And by the way, they let the preacher take off his mask. Okay, so that's why mine's off right now. Can't have to sing with it on, but uh, preach with it, I can take it off, all right? So, um, and if you want to give something, you can come to the front there. We've got a little desk set up. There are nice donuts. Just grab it with a napkin so it's nice and safe. Give yourself a little sweet treat on the way out. And uh, God bless you, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Try it again.
There we go. That's a little better. I can hear the people at home better. All right. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Oh, and I should tell you uh, tomorrow night I'll be back on live doing another question uh, which came up uh, uh, from our last uh, night together. And that is how does God, how does the Holy Spirit help you when you read the Bible? You'll find the answer to be not what you think. Okay. Tomorrow night at seven we'll be live. God bless you, everyone.